1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. Hello, Katie. How are you? Hi, Keith. I'm doing great. How about yourself? I am just fine. I am just... Well, I'm super freaky. Oh, goodness gracious. That's <laughs> so the kind should, of show. You should have said, ow, you oh, oh. are. <laughs> good, good God. Um, well, we'll tell you why we're feeling <laughs> freaky later. Um, because as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how Bad Bunny jumps back to number one on the Billboard 200, Beyonce's Break My Soul stays put atop the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, while the Hot 100's Top 10 welcomes debuts from a pair of superstar collaborations. Also on the show, we're talking about Nicki Minaj's super
0: fun new song, Super Freaky Girl, which samples Rick James's Super Freak. And about a brand new interview with Adele in which she addresses the cancellation of her Las Vegas residency in full detail for the very first time, so stick around for that. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts
1: from Billboard, visit billboard.com podcasts. Alrighty, let's do the chart chat. Let's. Let's. First up on the Billboard 200 Albums chart. Bad Bunny's Unveranos in D hops back to number 1 for an 8th non-consecutive week atop the tally. While the prolific rapper Youngboy Never Broke Again debuts at number two with his latest release, The Last Slimetto. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> the 22 year old has charted a whopping 22 entries on the Billboard 200. Oh, that's cute. All in the last five years. 21
0: for each year of his
1: life, just popping albums out like crazy. Yeah, among them are 10 top 10 albums. And four number ones. You know, that word prolific is misused sometimes, but
0: man, is it appropriate right here. For him,
1: it's absolutely (laughs) appropriate. It might actually be understating the situation. Um, Further, uh, Young Boy has earned three new top 10 charting albums in 2022. The the most of any act this year. Previous to the new album, he had top 10s with Better Than You, which was a collaborative set with DaBaby, and it hit number 10 in March, and Colors, which hit number 2 in February. Wow. Um, also in the top 10 on the Billboard 200, Eminem's second greatest hits album, Curtain Call 2, debuts at number 6, giving the rapper his 11th consecutive top 10 album, which is the entirety of his charting efforts. Eminem's first hits set, Curtain Call The Hits spent two weeks at number one following its release in late 2005. Uh, The standard edition of the new Curtain Call 2 album contains 34 songs spanning 2009 onwards up until the present, including three new tracks. Among the selections are nine top 10 charting hits on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs Chart including four number ones. He's had five altogether. Uh, Lose Yourself was his first number one, and that's on Curtain Call. So the four number ones that are on this album are Love the Way You Lie and The Monster, both featuring Rihanna, Not Afraid, and Crack a Bottle with Dr. Dre and 50 Cent. I feel like we talk about greatest sets on this podcast quite a few
0: times, mm-hmm. and we always kind of— you know, there's a little wink with, like, the greatest hits dot, dot, dot so far, like that sort of thing. Yeah. But with Eminem, it was true. Like, he literally put out his greatest hits album, and it was by no means the end for him. And he true. made a completely new collection off the last 13 years that has four flipping number
1: ones on it. It's interesting how um the first curtain call was a single disc affair. <laughs> it was one CD. This new album is two CDs. Mm. It actually does exist as a physical album. Mm. You can go buy it as a two CD set, um, which is kind of incredible uh, for this day and age. Yes. Um, but it, it also is interesting that in the past like two ish years, we've had uh, three, at least three top 10 charting co- hits compilations mm-hmm. maybe you can't call all of them greatest hits but we had the weekends of highlights yes we had curtain call 2 and then we also had bts's proof yep. which technically isn't a greatest hits album but it's a retrospective and kind of acts as a greatest hits i mean hits. why
0: don't you throw in there taylor swift's re-recordings and you've got like sure <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. uh yeah i mean and it makes it, it like does, does it doesn't make sense because obviously like people the way people consume things now is so you know playlist, playlist. heavy and streaming uh you know the streaming era but like i like that people still want like little collections of things
1: you know it's nice yeah and maybe these artists also want another top 10 album <laughs> maybe maybe they do I don't know. <laughs> um, all right next on the billboard hot 100 songs chart beyonce's break my soul holds atop the list for a second week while two star studded collaborations debut in the top 10 Break My Soul was up in radio audience in the United States in the week ending August 11th, though down in streams. The song had an explosion in sales, Why, though. Keith? <laughs> <laughs> with 36,000 sold, which was up 174%, and that was all digital track sales, following the release of the Queen's remix of the track with Madonna. It's crazy that it's up 174%. The week
0: after the album came out, they nearly doubled in sales because of this wonderful remix. The Power
1: of the Queen's remix. Indeed. Uh, We talked about this remix at length last week. It's it's an unmissable podcast. (laughs) Um, And the remix, of course, takes Break My Soul and works it over Madonna's 1990 number 1 Hot 100 hit Vogue, and Beyonce adds new lyrics as well to boot. Now Madonna is not listed on Break My Soul on the Hot 100 as an artist, as the remix did not account for the majority of the song's overall consumption in the tracking week, and that follows what we have established in the past for remixes of this nature when they impact songs on the chart. Uh, People like Mariah Carey and Justin Bieber have both not been credited on the chart despite them participating in high profile remixes of someone else's songs. In Mariah Carey's case, it was Lotto's Big Energy earlier this year, and in Justin in Bieber's case, it was Bad Guy with Billie Eilish. Right, and uh, of course, Madonna fans were very excited about the idea
0: of this being a number one for Madonna. But like, yeah, there was
1: a few comments from people online. We've got rules. Sorry, people. <laughs> um, all right, DJ Khaled's Staying Alive featuring Drake and Little Baby arrives at number five on the Hot 100, while Benny Blanco, BTS, and Snoop Dogg's Bad Decisions launches at number ten. Okay, Staying Alive updates the Bee Gees' 1970s number one hit of the same name and is Drake's record breaking 30th top five charting hit and his record extending 59th top 10. And the latter track, Bad Decisions, gives Snoop Dogg a top 10 in each of the last four oh, decades. Love that. And a record breaking span of top tens among rappers. That's amazing. I l- completely love this. Snoop. I can, I'm, I'm Snoop. I'm going to break this all down a little bit more. Yes, please. Deep, I want to hear more. In deeper detail. Yes. Deeper detail. I think I've never <laughs> said that phrase before. <laughs> all right, so Stain Alive interpolates the Bee Gees classic song, "Staying Alive, which topped the Hot 100 for four weeks in 1978. All three Bee Gees, the brothers Gibb, Barry, Morris and Robin Gibb wrote the original. In turn, Barry and the late Robin received their first writing credits on a Hot 100 top 10 hit since Destiny's Child's version of "Emotion," which was, which was originally a number three hit in 1978 for Samantha Sang, reached number 10 in 2001. The Bee Gees have their own recording of it as well. That's they do. Pretty famous. The the one that charted. Correct. Was the one from Samantha Sang. Right. The late Morris Gibb, meanwhile, draws his first Hot 100 Top 10 credit as a writer since the Bee Gees' last Top 10 hit, one, which all members of the trio wrote, hit number seven in September of 1989. I love that. That's so cool. (sighs) This is so fun. We're getting a music history lesson today. I love the fact how... um, the, the number one song on the Hot 100 this week was um, impacted by a remix that worked in a 1990 number one hit from Madonna. Uh-huh. So Madonna and Beyonce get together. Right. Then we have this track, which is Khaled, Drake, and Little Baby, um, sort of updating and refreshing to a certain degree an old 1970s hit from one of the biggest sort of biggest selling groups, groups of, of all time. time, the Bee Gees, um, and now. We get to talk about another legend, Snoop Dogg. Um, bad decisions with that single debuting at number 10. Snoop Dogg has now claimed top tens on the Hot 100 in the 1990s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and the 2020s. And he joins Mariah Carey and Jay Z. And having ranked in the top ten in each of the past four decades. Those are the only three acts that have done so. Mm-hmm. And Carrie has actually done it because of her annual resurgence of All They Want for Christmas. Right. So well Snoop has done it with a brand new song.
0: And when you think about hip hop being such a relatively young genre, the idea that we've now got this man and Jay-Z, who have, you know, been succeeding for four decades. Mm-hmm within four decades, I'm not trying to, you know, age out uh, Snoop and Jay, right. but like this is a pretty cool idea. Like, and obviously, like the people who thought hip hop was a fad, I'd say, have been proven wrong.
1: <laughs> um, further, uh, Snoop Dogg extends his span of Hot 100 top tens to 28 years, seven months, and three weeks. Now the longest span of top tens among rappers in the charts' history, surpassing Jay Z's. A uh, uh, span of, of top 10s which was 24 years 5 months and 3 weeks between hmm. March of 1997 and September of 2021 I'm sure Jay-Z will get another top 10 you know in a few months who yep. knows what was Snoop Dogg's first top 10 you ask Katie do you ask I do ask uh, well <laughs> it was What's My Name which first reached the top 10 on the December 25th 1993 dated chart and it peaked at number 8 one week later. So um, can yeah. we talk about the fact that that also samples an older song? What's my name does.
0: Yeah. It's uh, George Clinton, you know, atomic dog the Snoop Doggy Dog line.
1: Snoop Doggy Dogg. Oh. Or interpolates. It interpolates right. that George Clinton song. Oh, there's probably a sample in there, too, I would imagine. Probably. Probably.
0: Uh, yeah. So just like, and, and can I continue, Keith? Can I, should I move on to the next thing, which is all related?
1: You don't need my permission to continue okay. talking, Katie.
0: Well, continuing in the vein of everything old being new again, Nicki Minaj just released a brand new song last week called Super Freaky Girl, and it very prominently samples Rick James's 1981 Hot 100 top 20 hit Super Freak. So let's take a quick listen to that. He Right, so, Keith, I really like this song. <laughs>
1: Katie, Katie was uh, enthusing to me earlier. Yes. Not a word.
0: I mean, it is is—it is a raunchy song. It's Nikki. This is what she does best. It, it's, its you know, not, I'm not playing it for my children in the car, but it definitely gives me. <laughs> can't wait for the Kids Bop Kids version. <laughs> right. It's yes. good luck changing every lyric in the song. <laughs> Literally every other word. Super, what? They can't even do super freaky girl, I feel like. Anyway. Um, it super definitely, silly girl. Right, exactly. It definitely gives me Anaconda vibes, uh, which is, of course, when Nikki sampled Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back for her number two Hot 100 hit back in 2014. And then she also has a very J.J. Fad supersonic flow on Super Freaky Girl. Yeah. Uh, And I also just can't wait for the music video because uh, (laughs) I don't know if you remember the Anaconda video, but if we're going in the same direction, it's going to be wild. Um, the video
1: may be out by the time you actually hear this show. Yeah, this is
0: true. Right now, there's only a lyric video. Um, but, uh, Keith, have you heard the song already? Yeah, you played
1: it for me. Oh, that's right. I played it for Keith. The people don't know that. I, w- I was sort of, <laughs> I, w- I, was, I was like wincing because we were playing it out loud in the office. I'm like, oh, this is like an HR violation. No one's
0: here. It's all good. <laughs> you. Yeah. Um, you know, Keith and I were also talking about how MC Hammer prominently sampled Super Freak for his massive 1990 hit, You Can't Touch This. Yep. And that got us thinking also. About Lotto sampling Mariah's fantasy by
1: way of Tom Tom Club's genius of love for big energy. Yeah, I don't think Lotto actually sampled fantasy. She sampled. She went back to the Tom Tom Club. Went back to the Tom Tom Club's original. Which is what Mariah had sampled for. Which is a fantasy. very clear. The, the bed of that is very clearly, you know, it's inspired by but fantasy, I, But I
0: mean, and then you just brought up the Snoop song, which, you know, interpolates George Clinton. It's just like. And I, staying alive, which
1: is I know is bringing the Bee Gees. I back. literally
0: have nothing smart to say other and than I Vogue love and
1: break my soul. I love and break the my Idea. soul with Robin S's show me love.
0: Yes, I just love how um, a lot of these same samples, you know, come back and then they recall different songs for different generations of listeners, right? Or they're completely brand new to a younger listener who may not know any of this history, right? Right. But this is a lot of times how we discover. These older songs is maybe you hear this song and you love it and you think, wow, you know, Nikki is a genius. And then she is, by the way. But then you also, like, dig back the layers and you find, oh, wait, she pulled a piece from Super Freak. She, you know, is is uh, referencing this supersonic flow. There's, like, layers of music history within
1: this brand new pop hit, you know? You know, I personally will get lost in um, the website whosampled.com. Oh, yeah. Where I just fall into a rabbit hole, I'm like, this I didn't realize this. What about this? And it's a it's a, it's a great way to learn about the past in um, a fun way, and it's also a way to bring new fans maybe to Rick James and Super Freak, and also learn about your favorites inspirations. Yeah. You know, I'm
0: sure Nikki listened to both Rick James and MC Hammer growing up, or heard them in her life, and then now is newly inspired by them. Yeah, um, and then you know. Uh, again bringing up hip-hop like this is a grand hip-hop tradition obviously the idea of hip-hop was born on people rapping over a, an already existing beat right. um and you know we've figured out the rights issues with that <laughs> sure. at this point a little bit better um and and that's why you're getting all these credits to people uh these legendary artists who are you know being referenced in the year 2022 okay so moving on Uh, In a cover story for the September issue of Elle magazine, Adele points to the morning of January 20th as the worst moment in my career by far, quote unquote, reliving the video that she posted on Instagram that morning, informing fans that she was canceling her Las Vegas residency at the Coliseum at Caesars Palace. Well,
1: postponing.
0: Yes. Well, at the time it was like, it's called off. Mm. It was called off at that point. They said, hold on. Um so at the time information about what caused the 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 postponement I'll change my language just one day before uh the concerts were set to launch was very scarce and in the 5 months since Adele has not spoken publicly about this Uh, But she assures fans in the new Elle interview, I was so excited about these shows. It was devastating. And she shares that she'd been up for more than 30 hours in the lead up to that decision, tormenting herself, quote unquote, over a choice that had been in the works for a week. This is what she said about the situation, about the show, as she was like at a dress rehearsal for it, A, a dress rehearsal two days before it was set to launch. She says of the show, there was just no soul in it. The stage setup wasn't right. It was very disconnected from me and my band, and it lacked intimacy. And maybe I tried too hard to give it those things in such a controlled environment. End quote. Um, and she also talks about in the interview how she was singing, you know, singing to an empty theater, and she ended up disconnecting her microphone and just singing acapella in the theater and testing it out with people from her team. Going to the very back row of the back, you know, the balcony, and they could hear everything that she was singing. Of course, it's an empty room, yeah. but they could hear everything she was singing. and She's like, "That's what I want to create is like a room where the person in the back can hear my like naked voice, and there's not all these bells and whistles and trappings or whatever. I want it to be intimate. Like that was her
1: entire purpose. Did she elaborate further about? Was this the, her only reason? It didn't have oh, any soul. Oh, she
0: talked about the um, the stage setup. So basically, they had like a big water feature that was reported on previously. There was a big water feature involved. She and that said wasn't it wasn't ready yet. She said it was really lovely for like two or three songs, and then it was just sitting there, and it was just like on the stage for no purpose or reason. So she's like, "Why? Why do we have this?" And it, it, she didn't like the entire vibe of the setup, and she said that the setup didn't vibe with her band was her big thing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, her voice is the centerpiece of these shows, right? It is. And so I think that she didn't like, she didn't think that what was set up for her on that stage was showcasing the most important thing, which is her voice and her connection with her fans. It is
1: unfortunate that these revelations... Came so late. Yes.
0: And so, so... When
1: you are a star of Adele's caliber and... Of of her magnitude of success, it's un, it it seem it strikes me as unusual that this would not be something they would have determined weeks and weeks before. But we all know sometimes technical snafus and maybe emotions ran high mm-hmm. and they just didn't want to call it off. And she 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 probably she probably was just like she probably kept telling herself we can make this work we can make this mm-hmm. work. And then she realized at the last minute she's like. I'm not going to feel good about executing this show, and this will be. She probably just didn't, but it just sucks that she didn't didn't realize that like two months beforehand.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like, um, you know, and this was reported, this was in her video at the time. She talked about the fact that her crew had been diminished by COVID, like, Mm. you know, people testing positive and, and sitting out and other people, you know, connected to them. So all of a sudden she had this really shrunken team. And it sounds like she, they thought that they could do more than they could with the numbers that they had and they thought they'd be ready i think for her but when that she was there in in the moment in the dress rehearsal knowing it was going on a couple days later mm-hmm. she was like nah this is not it or what does adele say nar n-a-w-r
1: that's a meme Sorry. and then she follows <laughs> it with a ha ha ha, ha. <laughs> exactly um well you know i've 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 been fortunate to see Adele once, and it was at the Wiltern. In an intimate space. In an intimate space, in a, in a, in a venue that I think holds maybe, I don't know, 2,000 people. I don't know. How big is the Wiltern? Really small. And hmm. literally, there was no stage setup. There was no backdrop. It was just literally her and her band. And f- she is correct. Like the, like, well, She didn't actually say it. You did, Katie. But, I mean, mm-hmm. the star of an Adele show is Adele's voice her stellar band with her and her uh, rapport with the audience and her and her kibitzing and chit chatting with the audience. And you don't really need much else. And maybe she was just like, all right, look, we know, we know whatever she stages is going to probably be a magical evening, right? Once it actually starts to happen.
0: And but one of the reasons that stars choose Vegas too is because of the intimacy level. Like as opposed to a tour, where like to make your money back with all the travel and all the crew and the production and everything, you've got to play an arena or a stadium. It's like in Vegas, you can do a couple nights a week in the same place. And she, uh, the capacity at the Coliseum, the internet's telling me is forty-one
1: hundred. Yeah. So it's it's a. It's it it's it, I mean I've seen a show there. Have you seen a show at the Coliseum? Uh not the Coliseum, no. Nope. It it it's a bit big. The stage itself is enormous. You're
0: telling me it's double the size of the Wiltern? Did you say 2000 for the Wiltern? Or was know, that just
1: a guess? That was just a guess. Okay. Um I do know that the Coliseum itself that stage is enormous and it can sort of engulf you. It was a good guess, really. 1850. Okay. Well, you and I have seen Madonna at the Wiltern. Yeah. It's oh, very, yeah, that's that's crazy. It's very intimate. Yes. The Coliseum feels bigger because the stage itself is so enormous. Okay. Um, you just feel like it's just this, it's, it's, it's meant for like huge sort of like set pieces See, and shit behind So you.
0: maybe, well, I mean, I don't want to say this, but maybe it was like the inappropriate selection or maybe they figured out how to make it feel more intimate because it sounds like, I think she might've been overwhelmed by just the sheer size of the stage. Yeah, maybe. And the production needed to fill that space. Right. Yeah. Um, especially if she's somebody used to just stepping out on a yeah, the theater she, stage. Yeah. She's
1: not, she's not swinging from like a tree that rolls in like for toxic with Britney Spears and,
0: but she's also of So adorable, because in this Elle interview, she talked about when she performed at the Brit Awards after having made this announcement that she went to a production company and said, I've got this idea for the set um, based on my son, Angelo's birthday party, where I made a step and repeat by stapling some sequins from Michael's up on a cardboard uh, area. Could you please do that for me for the Brit Awards? So this is the production, like, inspiration Adele is talking about. Adele's like, we're going to keep this real economical. (laughs) And then she also had an aside, like, I love Michael's. I love going to Michael's, and World Market's great, too. She's like,
1: I love Party City. Party City's amazing, too.
0: (laughs) All right. Anyway, um, the uh, rescheduled 24-show run is slated to kick off on November 14th and actually now includes eight additional dates from when it
1: was originally announced as well. Some of those dates also roll into December and Christmas time. What if Adele sings holiday songs live? Oh, what if she does, what if she covers Mariah or brings
0: Mariah out on stage with her?
1: What if she takes <laughs> some of these recordings and turns them into a live Christmas album? Oh, I love all of these ideas. Yes. Is her team thinking of it? Hopefully. What, what, what if there's a Christmas? Anyone listening? What if there's an Adele Christmas album that will come out in time for like <laughs> November and for her to perform them live at the show?
0: Does Rich Paul listen to our podcast?
1: <laughs> Maybe. Probably not. I don't know. <laughs> it's not about sports, but all right. it's probably not. All right. Well, now it's time for the chart stat of the week. With the earlier talk of the Bee Gees, let's take a moment to reflect on their stellar career on the Billboard charts. The act made its Hot 100 debut in 1967 with New York mining disaster 1941, parenthetical, Have You Seen My Wife, Mr. Jones? (laughs) That is a long title. (laughs) Oh, my God. It peaked Uh. at number 14. It was the first of 43 hits on the Hot 100 for the trio. Among them, 15 top tens, nine of which reached number one. Incredibly, the trio notched six consecutive number ones between 1977 and 1979 with How Deep Is Your Love, Staying Alive, Night Fever, Too Much Heaven, Tragedy, and Love You Inside Out. Also, Love You Inside Out was sampled by Snoop Dogg on Ups and Downs a well, while back. Well, look at that, calling it all together. Uh, the BGS were so hot in the 1970s, they charted more number ones that decade than any other act, with all nine of their number ones coming in that decade. In the 1980s, the Brothers Gibb, in various permutations, wrote hits for and sometimes collaborated with other acts, like... Barbara Streisand, Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers on Islands in the Stream, Diana Ross on Eaton Alive and Chain Reaction, Dionne Warwick, and many more. <laughs> on the Billboard 200, the BGS placed 34 entries, including eight top tens, two of which were number one, 1979's Spirits Having Flown, and 1980's *BGS Greatest, a best-of compilation. Note that the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, which spent 24 weeks at number one in 1978, was a multi-artist soundtrack and not credited Hmm. to the Bee Gees. I think that would surprise a lot of people. Though they did perform six of the 17 songs on the album and wrote... Two more they didn't perform, so like eight of the 17 are really Bee Gees tracks. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. all right, well, there you have it. A little trip down Bee Gees Memory Lane for the chart stat of the week. All right, we've reached the end of our sort of uh, Retro future show, right? Our future nostalgia show, right? Oh, there you go. Call it a Dua. Dua Lipa. She in, she uh, interpolated "In Excess" on her album. There you go. Yeah. Uh,
0: you uh, you just made me think of one of my favorite movie quotes of all time from your BG's chart stat of the week in Wayne's World, when Wayne says, and I just pulled it up. I'm not actually recalling this from my memory. Uh, Wayne says, "It's like he wants us to be liked by everyone." I mean, Led Zeppelin didn't write tunes everybody liked. They left that to the Bee Gees. <laughs> I always love that quote. It's like, yeah, that's <laughs> Bee Gees were uh, there was a time when they were universally beloved or so, you know, almost you can never be universally beloved.
1: Well, yeah.
0: there's always somebody who's going to be a hater. There's always someone who's <laughs> going to be a hater. That is true. OK, so what song should we go? Oh, out my on? God. There's too many choices. I'm not making the choice this week. Keith's going to make the choice this week. What? We reference so many artists, so many songs, so many samples of songs. Too many songs.
1: Oh, wait, I do have a suggestion. Great. What is it? Atomic Dog by George Clinton, please. We'll go out on that uh, because it was sampled in what?
0: It was in What's My Name? Soup oh, Dog. Right, right. Come on, Sorry. Keith.
1: I, it's like I didn't just say it, that or something. A, 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 this just in. Keith wasn't here for the <laughs> earlier part of the show. Okay, <laughs> okay, we'll go out on that. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Oh, oh.